0: Psalm 23, obviously goes without saying the most famous uh, psalm and perhaps poem in the history of the world, I most commonly hear it used at funerals, which I think is very unfortunate, not that it's used there, but it's only primarily used there because it's much more than just a consolation at death. The psalm is about, and you're going to see this morning, uh, what it looks like in a believer's life, to practice the presence of God on a daily basis. Um, You can see it for yourself if you look at the framework of it. It's not hard to figure that out because the frame of Psalm 23 is bracketed by the little name of God, Yahweh, the Lord. It's translated, you could see it in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, and at the end, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. In the middle of this psalm, Right smack dab in the middle in verse 4. There are 26 Hebrew words before this phrase and there are 26 Hebrew words after this phrase. And that little phrase in verse 4 is, you are with me. So you have the Lord bracketing it, you are with me in the middle. It's about Yahweh. It's about the covenant God of Israel who keeps his promises of being with his people at all times. And I would dare say this morning, and without exaggeration or dramatic effect that these four words you are with me are life-changing words. And let me back it up because that promise that God says to believers I'm with you has changed profoundly changed the lives of people all throughout the scriptures. Every single one of the patriarchs Abraham, Isaac and Jacob were reissued this promise by God. Every time that they were to carry on the seed that would eventually bring the Messiah, all of their wives were barren, could not have children, and they had to wait for the promise of God through all kinds of difficult circumstances. But every time God would reassure them, I'm with you. You don't have to fear. I'm going to keep my word. I can handle every situation that you face that looks impossible. The patriarchs. Joseph, when he was in Potiphar's house, Chapter 39 of Genesis begins and ends with it, and he's in Potiphar's house. He gets, you know, he he has a crime that he didn't commit, but he actually gets punished for it. And by the end of chapter 39, he's in prison. But you know what brackets that whole chapter? The Lord was with Joseph. Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt in the Exodus, facing Pharaoh, the superpower of the world, passing through the Red Sea, the impossible odds of getting past all of those things And here's what Moses was told by God. Never fear, I am with you. Joshua, the conquest of Canaan. Isaiah and his prophecy, Isaiah 41. Don't be afraid, I am the Lord your God. I am with you. Through the fire, through the waters, through the floods. And on and on to the New Testament, the apostle Paul in Corinth, God appears to him when he's very afraid in a city that he thought would be dangerous. The Lord tells him, I'm with you. And no one will set on you to attack you or hurt you. See, God is with us. It can make a difference in your life. Have you ever read the book, The Lord of the Rings? There's a conversation with a little hobbit, Bilbo, with his nephew, Frodo. And he had just come back from a very, very dangerous journey and all the things that he'd gone through. And he was writing them down. And he says to Frodo one day, it's a dangerous business, Frodo, just going out your front door. And you know what? Today, I think we might agree with him. On Middle Earth, in in Tolkien's books, there were orcs, and there were giant spiders, and there were dark wizards, and there were all kinds of crazy things. Now, that may not be the things that you and I face in our day, but can I tell you, It hasn't changed any. And what made the difference for the hobbits? What made the difference for the dwarves? What made them feel secure in a world of danger? Well, one word, Gandalf. Because no matter what they faced, no matter how bad it was, and the Fellowship of the Ring, see, they knew this about Gandalf. They knew that he had wisdom. They knew that he had power, that he had proven that he had the ability to handle anything and anyone who came their way. You see, on planet Earth, we don't have orcs and goblins and all kinds of things. But we have real difficulties, don't we? And maybe you're here this morning and you're facing some of them. In fact, dangers in the day in which we live. I don't think it would be far-fetched for some of us to agree this morning as you read and watch the news. We might be able to say it's a different, dangerous business going out your front door in America today. Terrorist attacks, mass shootings, civil unrest social and national divisions on an all-time high scale, economic struggles, financial crunch, the marginalizing and the vilifying of American Christianity in our country. You might be uh, one to ask, how am I supposed to handle all these enemies? How am I supposed to fight all these foes? How am I supposed to meet all of these needs? Well, the psalmist says this, you're not. You're not. You can't. But the Lord can. See, the Lord can. That's what the psalmist tells us right off the bat. It's the main idea this morning. It's this. Because the Lord is with me, I will not lack anything. David tells us that. And he shows us how God himself is qualified to be the one that meets all our needs. And I would tell you this morning, we have a far better one than Gandalf. We have God. God is going to be with us. And so how would we practice his presence? When you go to work this week and you face the difficulties and things that surprise you, the uncertainties, oh, I didn't know it was going to cost that. I don't know if I can pay for that. I wasn't ready for that doctor's diagnosis. How are you going to handle them? I I pray after today you're going to handle them with God, that you're going to acknowledge that he's with you. And so the two metaphors that get this truth across to us are in this psalm. And the first one that David gives us is, the Lord is my shepherd. Picturing the Lord as your shepherd is not uncommon in the psalms. It's repeated in Psalm 28, Psalm 80, Psalm 100. In fact, numerous psalms. But what is unique about this psalm and why everybody loves it so much is that all the other psalms that talk about God as shepherd, they are always using plural pronoun, Our shepherd. And the emphasis, by and large, in all the other Psalms is God's corporate dimension of being His people's shepherd. He is their shepherd on a national level. But what Psalm 23 does, that no other Psalm in all the Psalter does, is change the pronoun. Only in Psalm 23 will you get this phrase The Lord is my shepherd. You see, our God is not just transcendent. He's not just a God who knows everybody at Faith Baptist Church and all of your life and all of your details and all the difficulties and dangers. He is that God. He knows on a national scale. He knows on a church-wide. Yes, he does. He is transcendent. But here's what is true about our God. He not only watches over the whole flock, he cares about every individual sheep. See, because he's not only transcendent, he's imminent. I love Jesus' words when he's talking to the religious leaders in the Gospel of John, chapter 10. And here's what he says My sheep hear my voice, and I know them by name. I love the fact that God knows my name. See, with him, I'm not a number, I'm a name. I'm not just, oh, yeah, I think I have, I know him. He's one of those many people at faith. No, it's never like that with God. He knows every detail of everything happening in my life. See, it makes a difference when I say, let me introduce you to my wife because I know a lot of ladies and a lot of women in our church, but the person, see, I only have one wife, my wife. See, I would say, these are my children. I might introduce you, see, he is my friend. See, there's an intimacy there, isn't there? It's a relationship factor. God knows you this morning. He is not just all of our shepherds. That's true. He's your shepherd. And because of that, listen to the psalmist. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Literally, I will not lack anything. It's the same word used in Deuteronomy 2.7, Nehemiah 9.21. Listen to how the Bible speaks. These 40 years, the Lord God has been with you and you lacked nothing. And then they enumerates what that meant. It says this, your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell. See, God doesn't just make blanket promises, generic, wide-based promises promises to us you know what he does he says i want you to know i've got all the details of your life down i i I watch whether your feet swallow or not in the desert for 40 years i've watched that 40 years your clothes didn't wear out see i can handle all the problems that you're facing psalm 34 9 says those who fear the lord shall not lack anything you might say well pastor walker hot dog you know what that means that means that God's going to give me everything. So I'm going home today to pray, and I'm going to pray that he gives me, because that car of mine is acting up. And I've been eyeing the Cadillac down the road, and I'm thinking, and you say, no, you know. See, what does it mean? What is this text trying to say to us? It doesn't say, God, I shall not lack anything I want. It's anything I need. See, God is not just giving. See, don't listen to health and wealth. That, that's foolishness. Because the rest of the text says this God is with me, and I'm not going to lack anything. But what does the last half of the psalm say? Well, I may go through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm going to try not to fear evil, right? And I have enemies. So the rest of the psalm rules out the foolishness that this is a promise that means that you're going to have everything you ever wanted and you'll never lack anything. That's not the point of it. The point of it is the Lord will take care of all my needs as he sees fit. Because in the ancient Near East, kings on their thrones were also often called shepherds. They would take care of the people that worked for them, that were in their kingdom. So this morning, listen, to say this, the Lord is my shepherd, is to say the Lord is my king. See, this morning, if you want him to shepherd you, So that you never lack anything you ever need. If you want to have confidence, no matter what you face in life, no matter what the difficulties are, see, you have to see him as your sovereign shepherd. You have to put yourself under his reign. You have to say, God, I'm willing to submit to you whatever comes my way because you have the wisdom, you have the power to know exactly what I need, when I need it, and where I need it. So the psalm goes on in the next two verses. As he develops the metaphors, the Lord is my shepherd to tell us how he meets all of those needs. Notice the words, the pronouns. He makes me. See, underline it. He makes me. He leads me. He restores. He heals. He leads. So he's the God who's out front. He's the God who's leading you every single day if you acknowledge his presence. He will restore your soul He meets your needs on the outside. He meets your needs on the inside. He is a sovereign God, but he's a sensitive God because he knows everything you're facing. He is powerful and he is personal. He leads us, but at the same time, he loves us. That's the kind of Psalmist psalmist, shepherd that the psalmist portrays. So David says, let me show you what happened in my life. He's with me. And he leads me to green pastures. You know, for sheep in the Middle East, green pastures weren't just commonly found. It was mostly a a desert climate, and there wasn't a lot of green pastures or water. In fact, they only got green pastures that were very much large and abundant in springtime and wintertime. So as a shepherd, you had to know exactly when and where to take your sheep if they were to survive. And God says, listen, I know when you need rest. I know that you've been out there. I know it's been sparse. I know in your life right now, and you may say, Pastor Walker, I've come to church today, and I can tell you, it's it's been tough because I'm hungry spiritually. I'm hungry in my life. Let me tell you, it's been not easy. It's been a lot, very few uh, pieces of green pasture, right? Very little water, and I'm parched as I come to church today. God knows all that. And if you follow him, he's leading you. He's going to give you the rest that you need. And he's also going to give you the refreshment you need because he says, not only will I lead you to green pastures, but I'm going to lead you to still waters, the waters that you can drink from, the water that is clear and pure and will benefit you. You see what the psalmist is doing? Do you get it? Look at what he's doing. He says, you know, if you need things to eat, if you need things to drink, if you need rest, you need sleep, you need security, he's taking all the things that we face on a daily basis and putting them in a radically God-centered context. So we look around at our culture today, and I wonder, can I send my kids to school? I wonder if it's safe at my job when I go there. And I walk out the door today. Is it going to be dangerous business, as Bilbo told Frodo? I don't know what to expect. I don't know. Here's what God says. All the daily things that you face, all of them, Say, you know what? I've lost a lot of money, Pastor Walker, in, the, in, in all the economy. And you know how high the prices are right now? And things are breaking down. And I don't have the money to fix them. I don't know. See, I need that car to get to work. And how am I going to? And you have all these questions going on in your mind. Here's what God says. See, the eating and the drinking and the resting and the sleeping and the refreshment. You know what? God says, I can handle all of it. All of it. Not just the big events of your life. But all the daily ones, the ordinary ones, you can trust him because he cares. He cares about what's happening outside you. And it also says he's gonna restore your soul. You know what? It's one thing, isn't it, to have all the problems on the outside, but you get so tired. You ever be tired of it? Tired of COVID? Tired of this, all this stuff going on? Tired of watching the news and seeing all these things and we can't stop any of it? You ever get frustrated that you have no control over all of these things? He says, I'll give you the inner strength. You come to me. Drink from me. See, and I'll give you the inner strength that restores your souls. And then I'll tell you this, in the midst of the chaos and the confusion and the uncertainty, you know what else he'll do? It says, he will lead me in paths of righteousness. Literally in the Hebrew, right paths. Paths that lead to life, not paths that lead to destruction. The hobbits were told by Gandalf, the, the hobbit and, um, actually it was Bilbo and the dwarves, as they had to go through Mirkwood to get to the other side, to get to the Lonely Mountain. He said that Gandalf had things to do, but he sent them through. And here's what he said, stay on the forest track and do not get off because no one who gets off the track makes it through the other side. They got through the path partly, And they began to be disoriented and got off the track and off the path and got taken over by gigantic spiders and all put in this web and they almost died. They barely made it out of that thing. But you know what the problem was? They got off the right path. See, here's the danger. Can I say this to you this morning? See, the Lord is your shepherd and he can handle anything that you have. But when the Lord doesn't do, do what you want, when you want, you know what the temptation is? To stray from the path, to find other sources of food and water that you can nourish and satisfy yourself in. I've seen it over and over and over. Young people picking the wrong friends because what they think their greatest need is is to be a popular or to be accepted or well liked by some. I've seen adult young adults wanting to get married. But see, they're not waiting for the right one that God has for them. And they begin to choose their own things. And they they begin to drink at dirty waters. Can I say it that way? In the dating relationship they have. Because here's what's the reality that the psalmist wants you to get, that someone is shepherding you. But the question is who? Who do you look to as your shepherd? Who do you look to the one who rules your life and can meet your needs so that you don't lack all the things that you need in your life. I've seen so many people end up in wrong pastures, and they're not green, drinking from the wrong wrong waters, wrong sources, wrong paths to be happy in their lives. It happens all over in Scripture. Ananias and Sapphira wanted everyone to think that they were really generous in their giving when they weren't. Demas who couldn't handle being with Paul because it was too risky, and he left him and abandoned him, and it says because he loved this present world. There are all kinds of examples in Scripture and in life, and you've probably seen them. There were people who attended Faith Baptist Church over the years, and they're gone, and the reason is, is they, they went to the wrong sources at times. And what you need and what the psalmist is telling us this morning Is let me tell you this: you need Jesus to be your living bread. You need Jesus to be your water. The woman at Samaria found that all the places that she was drinking water from never worked. The five guys that she had a husband and the one that she was living with, it wasn't going to satisfy her. There was something deeper, far beneath the superficiality of what everyone saw her in public to be. See, you need Jesus to restore your soul. You need Jesus to tell you who you are and what your identity is. It's not what the world says. It's not changing your hairstyle. It's not having different clothes. It's not trying to be different and stand out in those ways. See, here's what you need to realize, that what you're looking for is only gonna be found when you let Jesus shepherd your life. Someone is shepherding you. And if you're not following the right shepherd, here's what life will end up being. A lot of detours that you think work but never go where you think you're headed. There'll be a lot of wrong turns and roads that you take that you can't reverse yourself from and its consequences. There'll be U-turns that you try to have in your life, but you can't get back to where you started. See, Pastor Walker, how do I know the Lord is my shepherd? How do I know if I'm really looking to him to meet all the things that I lack in my life? Because the psalmist says at the end of verse 3, that I do all of this he says or God does all of this in my life for his name's sake. See, if you don't have that down, see if you don't understand, see here's the test of when the Lord is your shepherd, that when he doesn't do what you want, when you want, you're okay with it because it's not about you, it's about him. Say, Lord, I want you to do everything in my life for your name's sake, not my name. It's not about me, it's about you. It's about you leading and me following, not the other way around. It's about you telling me what I need in life, not me telling you. It's not me telling you, do it now, do it my way. It's about me saying to you, do it your way in your time for your namesake, he says. So the Lord being your shepherd king means that your life centers around him when all the good things that he can provide, it's all about him being sovereign in your life, not you. So, we follow the Lord as our shepherd, right? And on the mountains, in the green pastures, beside the still waters, it's good stuff, isn't it? But what about the other half of the psalm? Because there's two metaphors. The Lord is my shepherd, and also when the Lord is my host. He talks about in the first three verses about the mountaintop experiences, when he's your shepherd, and all the water, and the food, and the drink, and the abundant. he gives you all those things, but verse 4 changes the tone quite dramatically. When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Did you see how verse 4 begins? Can you look there at the scripture? He says, even though. They're hinge words, we call it. Hinge words, even though. Have you heard the song by Mercy Me, Even If? It's easy to sing when there's nothing to bring you down. But what will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now? That's what even though means. See, when when it's green pastures, still waters, refreshment, rest, and everything is great, God, be my shepherd. But when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or as the song says, when I'm held to the flame, Will I still let him be my shepherd? Will I still follow him? When I'm held to the flame relationally, when I'm held to the flame emotionally, when I'm held financially or spiritually, will I still practice his presence in the valleys like I did on the mountains? Will he still be my king? Will I really still let him call the shots? Will I follow him when it doesn't look like he's meeting my needs at all? See, David was held to the flame. Read his life. Bathsheba, when he sinned greatly against God, was adulterous and thought he could find satisfaction in sexuality. And then he had Uriah, her husband, murdered to cover it all up. See, he got off the path. He got off the track. And he was on wrong paths because he thought he was mature enough and big enough to handle his own life, to be his own self-shepherd, but he wasn't. Goliath, he had to hold, it was tough to think that, see, he held to God even though he faced a giant, even though his own son tried to kill him, Absalom, even though he went through the loss of his best friend, Jonathan. Even though he was chased down and pursued and hunted down by Saul, trying to constantly take his life. See, there are the even those of life. And what you find about David, even though there were times where he sinned greatly against God, here's what was true of him he held to God in the flames. He did. Even though God wasn't always meeting his needs the way that he thought. Even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. Did you know that little phrase the shadow of death was not the only time it's mentioned in Psalm 23 there are others in the Bible Psalm 44 is one of them Job a couple times and every time it's used with its little nuanced uh, other phrases it has the gates of the shadow of death and otherwise it always talks about literal death it's what it means literal death David was practicing God's presence even when he thought he might die in doing it That's what we love about Eddie Davis, right? He knew he was going to go through the valley of the shadow of death, and he held on to God in the most intense flames you could throw at someone when your life is ending. What about you? Even though my marriage is failing, even though I lost my job and I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills, even though I got the diagnosis and it's cancer, Even though I'm still single. Even though I can't get pregnant. See, I want to still follow. I want to hold on to him, even in the flames. Even when it's difficult. If you ever read Pilgrim's Progress, you'll find that Christian is the main character, and he's on his way to the celestial city. But all throughout the book, as John Bunyan writes, he has all kinds of enemies. He's got worldly wise men. He has to face Apollyon giant despair he gets caught in the slough of the spawn he gets locked in the dungeon of doubting castle and all through his life and all through his journey to the celestial city christian faces all kinds of enemies but what you find to be true of christian is what the psalmist wants to be true for all of us is that when you're held to the flame in the doubting castle and the sloughs of the spawn and you face polyons like david had in his life see they weren't fickle followers of the shepherd king. They held on to him. Did you notice in the psalm that these verses are very particular about the pronouns and the order of them? Because here's the emphasis listen, you are with me. Your rod, your staff comfort me. Your, you prepare a table in the presence of my enemies before me. You anoint my head. My cup runs over. See, it's always God, you, then me. You, me. You, me. You, then me. See, here's our problem. It's me, then you. Me, you. Me, then you. And you never know what it means for God to be your shepherd as long as you reverse the pronouns. See, he can't be your shepherd king, and he can't provide the things that he wants to give you and use you in your life because you think it's you first. But he wants you to know is this, you, me, means you're never alone. You're never alone. And what he says is, practice my presence, no matter how dark the valleys are. In fact, the Hebrew word for the shadow of death is literally deep darkness. You ever faced it? Ever felt it? because it's real. The deep darkness of thinking there's no way out of this, that you're not gonna recover from the loss of the person that you love, that you're not going to be able to face the circumstances you are and overcome your problems. It's a deep darkness. And what you have to realize is that when the Lord is a shepherd, and we're going to see in a minute the Lord is your host, here's what it doesn't mean. God's presence does not remove the presence of evil. Do you see God is with you, but evil is still there. There are still evil. There are still enemies. There's still the valley of the shadow of death. God's presence doesn't mean that all those things cease to exist. It doesn't mean that there is no presence of evil. But what God's presence does is say this, I remove the power of all of those things. Do you hear what he says? See, the Lord is with me. And even though I walk through the valley of shadow, I will not fear evil. Did you know that you can face anxiety? You can face depression. You can face loneliness. You can, and you don't have to be overcome by them. You, don't have, you can face fear and defeat it. Why? He's with you. To acknowledge his presence doesn't mean that you'll never be afraid. Psalm 56.3, when I am afraid, then I will trust in the Lord. Please don't think for a second that if you acknowledge God's presence that you'll never face enemies or evil or death. But God says, keep this in mind. Look at the text. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Please underline Table, anoint my head, cup, in God's house forever. You know what all those are? Those are hospitality words. See, in ancient Near Eastern times, when someone was your host, they had obligations. Now, we don't have it as strong in our day. But when someone was in your table, you gave them the best that you have. So in the presence of the enemies of David, here's what God says. When I follow him, he's my shepherd, but he's also my host. And so God is with me, and here's how he shows his presence, that in the presence of my enemies, he throws me a banquet. Now remember, this is king. So this is the royal banquet. And he's gonna say, in the middle of the desert, in the middle of my foes, when I think things are really going bad, God sets the table. And this isn't just any spread. This is God putting a banquet out there. I'm not talking Chick-fil-A. I'm talking the royal stuff going on. I was in England one time, and my dad got a promotion, and we went to the Dorchester. Now, if you've never been to London, you don't probably know anything about that, but it is a super fancy, ritzy hotel. and you got there, the guy met you at the door, you had a seat, and he knew all of your names. Not just my dad who made the reservation. He knew my mom. He knew my sisters, my niece. Oh, and they call you. I love this. They didn't say, hey, Lance, Master Walker, you will be seated here. Master Walker. I love that part. So he comes down, and you, you go to get your, t- oh, you don't pull your chair out. He was in a tux. He pulled your chair out. A little weird, the next thing, is that he took the little, you know, napkin or whatever you want to call that thing. He took it out flicked it out like that and, he, and i sat down and then he put it on me a little weird but i liked it <laughs> right now this is back in the 1980s so back then it was it came out to be 240 dollars a person to eat there yeah yeah well, i don't even know what it would be now so I'm sitting there eating. Now, the only thing I didn't like about it is you, you, you paid all this money. And I don't know if it's about the English, but they had these little teeny portions on your plate. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I might have got more food off the dollar menu than I would have got on that plate. Other than that, it was awesome. But this guy was taking it, and then he'd come by, and he'd fill your... I mean, I'd take one drink out of the water, and he'd fill it up again. They take a little thing and they wiped off your table the crumbs, or they didn't want you to get any crumbs on the table. And I thought like, "Wow, are people watching me eat or what's happening? But it was the royal treatment. I mean, this was the banquet hall, and here's what David says. See, this is what God in the watch, in the presence, My enemies are looking on, and they know what side God is on. They know whose side He's on my side. Not yours, he's throwing a banquet for me right in your presence. You know why? God isn't afraid of you because he's already got the victory. So he gives you the table, he anoints your head with oil. See, when you came into a house, remember Simon, he didn't do any of these things for Jesus, but the woman came in her tears wiped his feet with her hair he says you didn't anoint my head when I came in see I was your honored guest and then when you did that for people off the road they were dusty you cleaned them up washed them up you anointed them it was a sign of friendship God says listen I want you to know in your difficult in your dark valleys I want you to know we're going to throw a party we're going to have a banquet and I'm going to anoint your head in oil because I want you to know this you are my friend You're not just some member of Faith Baptist Church. You're my close friend, and I'm going to take care of you because we have a relationship. So much so, he says, My cup runs over. He wasn't filling up. You're drinking this cup, and he's filling it faster than you can drink it. See the abundance of blessing I have. Read the Psalms for yourself in all of them. Here's what you'll find there are two cups that are drank there's the cup of judgment. And there's the cup of blessing. And here's what God says. In the presence of your enemies when they like to do more, just nothing more than to judge you, not me, I'm gonna bless you. Your cup's gonna run over. And then he says, Surely goodness in Hesed, loyal love, will follow you, Hebrew word for persecute or pursue. Let me tell you this way. David knew what it meant to be pursued. David was a guy who ran for his life. King Saul wanted to kill him for years. He knows what it's like for someone to hunt you down. Here's what David says. In the presence of my enemy, you're not cut hunting me down, God, to kill me like Saul. You're hunting me down to bless me. To bless me. See, here's what the host is responsible for you have to protect the people that are in your house. You have to. That's why Lot made the guys that were homosexual and ungodly and to the angels, he said, you can't come on my house. And they beat him off. You know why? Because it was the host's job to protect anyone under his roof as long as they stayed there. In fact, at times in the Bible, people would walk them to the next town to make sure they never were hurt by anybody else. See, God says, I am the ultimate host in your life. You are my guest. You are my friend. You're staying in the best room I've got. You're eating at my table. Your cup's going to run over. See, I'm going to follow you. When you leave my house, if you ever do, see, I'm going to protect you and follow you with the best I've got. How long, Pastor Walker? How long would that last? And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You can go down 130 and you can stay at the extended stay. My sister has done that a few times, not just a night or two. You could stay there for a month at the extended stay. God says, welcome to my house, the house of the heavenly host. You know what my hospitality says? You can stay in my house forever. Talk about extended stay. Five-star treatment, royal treatment by the king, and David says, I'm going to dwell. I'm going to be in his house forever, forever, forever. See, David's going to live in God's presence forever. But here's the question. Will you? Are you going to dwell in his house forever? Jesus says you can. In my Father's house are many dwellings. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, where I am, you will be also. You know what that is? I'm with you. See, I'm with you now. I'm going to be with you in death and beyond the valley of death. I'm going to be with you forever. See, that's God's goal. That's why he's your shepherd. That's why he's your host. You know why? He wants to be with you forever. And if God, through Jesus Christ, who in John 10 says, the good shepherd, he gives his life for the sheep. How much does he want you to be with him forever? Jesus gave his life. He died on the cross and paid the penalty for your sins so that you could be with him forever. There's two cups. He drank the cup of wrath so that you could drink the cup of blessing. That's how much he wants you to be with him forever. But the question is, will you? He desires to be with you. Do you desire to be with him forever? How can I, Pastor Walker, through Jesus Christ alone? He's the good shepherd. He gave his life for you. See, if you will let him control your life, if you will admit that you're a sinner and you need a savior, and that King Jesus, the shepherd of my soul, 1 Peter 2, He's the only one that can forgive my sins. He's the only one that can make me right with God. He's the only one that can give me forever extended stay in heaven with God. He's the only one that can really meet my life, needs in my life right now, every day. See, if I'll give my life to him, see, I can know him. And for the rest of my days, he'll be with me. And I can be with him forever. Let's pray. with every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around maybe some are here this morning and you'd say pastor walker i don't know that the lord is my shepherd i don't know if the lord is my host i know i have an invitation to his house he's having a banquet he sent me a card 66 cards to be exact. It's called the Bible. Invited me to his banquet table. But I don't know that he's my shepherd. And I can tell you this. It's been hard doing it on my own. A self-shepherd. Leading my own life. I've been down so many wrong roads. So many detours. So many dead ends. Wrong pastures. Wrong drinking. Wrong eating. Wrong... I've been in the wrong places, Pastor Walker. I need the Lord to be my shepherd. So I know he died on the cross and rose again from the grave. You know what? He loves me. He wants to be with me. I want to give my life to him today. I want to let him control, take the lead, be my shepherd, my savior shepherd, take over my whole life. If you would be willing to repent of your sins this morning and confess him as Lord, and that's the desire of your heart, with no one else looking, with your heads bowed, would you say, Pastor Walker, please, here's my hand. Pray for me. No more self-shepherding. I want the Lord to be my shepherd. I want to be welcomed in his house forever. Please pray for me that I might come to know him. Would you do that? Just slip your hand up and put it right back down, and I'll pray for you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Over here on my right as well. Say, Pastor Walker, I can't leave my life. Thank you. I need Jesus as my shepherd, my savior shepherd, my king. I need him in my life, not in my life, to be my life. Perhaps with every head bowed and every eye closed, you're a child of God this morning, but you'd say, Pastor Walker, listen, even as a Christian, too much self-shepherding in my life. See, I've I've got the pronouns backwards. It's been too much me, you, instead of you, me. And I run ahead and down the wrong roads and I'm not letting him call the shots and meet my needs. I'm not willing to even let him tell me what my needs really ought to be. And I realize I'm the sheep and he's the shepherd and I need to keep it that way and I need help because that's not where I am this morning. Please pray for me. Would you just slip your hand up and I'll pray for you as well this morning as a child of God. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Father, you have seen our hands and our hearts. I just thank you that you are with us today, right here, right now. May your presence be obvious that you are among us, as Corinthians says. And that those who raise their hand today indicating that they don't know you, that you're not their shepherd, you're not their savior, you're not their king. I pray today that they would seek someone out, even today, before they leave this place, that they might give their lives to you and know the wonders of the host, the eternal host in Jesus Christ who died for us and rose again. I pray for those who raise their hand today indicating as children of God that they're not, they haven't been willing to let you dictate what their true needs are, that they've been running ahead and it's causing all kinds of difficulties and it's belittling your infinite glory. We pray, God, that you would work in their hearts to bring them to humility and brokenness and repentance. All of this we pray for your name's sake. For Christ Jesus we ask it, amen.